week, and uh, we managed not to get rained on one bit. It's a miracle. So it's, uh, it's really good to be with you. When is the last time you felt overwhelmed? Probably a stupid question coming off the past 18 months of living through a pandemic. Honestly, I think the, I think the word overwhelmed is overused. If you looked it up in the dictionary, you'd find entries like these for overwhelmed. To bury or drown beneath a huge mass. To defeat completely. To overpower. So when we use the word overwhelm in context like looking at the menu uh, and Panera and saying, oh, the choices on the menu uh, were so overwhelming. Um, it's not wrong, I guess, uh, but we run the risk of cheapening the word, robbing, of, robbing it of its value. If you were to look back over the, the past year, decade, time when, you've, when you felt buried, drowned, defeated, overpowered, so much in the towel, cash in your chips, call it quits. That's what being truly overwhelmed means. A health condition that the doctors have no answers for. Uh, a class that is so hard, it's, it's putting your academic future a marriage um, or other important relationship this, this seems buried with dysfunctions, buried with problems. A job that's, that's overwhelmed with tasks that you didn't sign up for. You can't sleep. You can't get up in the morning. You've, you've lost your appetite. You are truly overwhelmed. What do you do? Who do you turn to? How do you, how do you gain perspective? Well, that's what we want to consider today as we, as we look at the prophet Elijah, because we're going to see Elijah become overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed with life's um, circumstances, with ministry, with his calling. So I, I'd invite you to, to wade in together um, for a few minutes this morning and consider that. So before we do that, let me pray real quick. Um, as we go to, to him. Father, thank you so much for this, this time together this morning. Um, we, we know that you want nothing but to feed each one of us with your life-giving word and to, to renew us by your spirit, to renew us with fresh perspective, to blow wind in our sails, and so that's what we pray for. So would you do just that? And we'll be sure to give you all the glory. And the precious and mighty name of Jesus, amen. So before we get into the specific situation, a little context. Elijah was a prophet in, the northern, uh, in northern Israel during the 9th century B.C. when the kingdom was divided. So you had a north and you had a south. And the northern kingdom was ruled by Ahab, who was a wicked, unfaithful king. In fact, he's, he's the worst <laughs> And during this time, the people of God were, were a lot like him. 
It goes to show what good leadership and bad leadership does. Israel was fraught with unfaithfulness, fraught with idolatry. If you've been here over the past few weeks, then you've heard quite a bit about idolatry. Idolatry is, is not a, a practice of ancient history. It, it's alive and well. It, it's, uh, as as sin-filled, broken human beings, we, we are like idol factories, always looking to other things besides God to give us the satisfaction, the significance, the security, the comfort he, he alone longs to give. The idols in vogue during Elijah's time were the prophets of Baal. And Baal was the Canaanite god of uh, storm god and fertility god. So safety and procreation. So we often think of idolatry as a worship of idols instead of God, but, but a lot of times idolatry happens when we worship an idol alongside God, alongside the true God. It's like buffet-style religion. You know, I take some mashed potato along with my meatloaf. That's what the people of God were doing. We've got Yahweh, the meatloaf, but we need a little something to go with it. Baal. Well, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, was a Canaanite, and she was fiercely loyal to Baal, fiercely loyal to the prophets of Baal. And she'd already had uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of the prophets of God killed just to shut them all up and keep them from declaring the truth about God the true God. At the same time, there was a massive famine caused by a drought. So Elijah enters into this spiritually and physically risky and dangerous situation, but a situation that is ripe for opportunity. And he approaches King Ahab, puts on a challenge to see, who God, to, to see whose God is real and whose God is counterfeit. King Ahab, ta Ahab takes him up on his challenge, sends all 950 prophets of Baal and Asherah to, to Mount Carmel uh, for the God-off of all God-offs. So Elijah approaches the people of God and says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. So here's what we're going to do. Prophets of Baal and I are each going to take a bull, set it on the altar, but not light a match or a flint. Instead, we'll pray to our God, and the God who answers us by fire is the true God. And all the prophets of Baal said, sounds good. Sign us up. Well, the, the prophets of Baal go first, and it doesn't go well. Absolutely nothing happens. It's a great episode. Uh, I'd really encourage you all to, to read it. It's found in 1 Kings eight, chapter 18. The counterfeits are shown for who they are and what they are. Fakes. Then it's Elijah's turn, and he begins by giving himself a handicap. He has four jars of water poured over his, over his offering three times. He says, keep coming, keep coming. And then he prays this way. It's found in uh, 
1 Kings 18, 36 to 40. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O, o Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. All the, all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. God answers big time. It's a huge, a huge win for the people of God whose hearts returned to God. It's a huge win for Elijah. After that, God, God sends rain on the parched land that desperately needed it. Ahab needed it. He was looking for it. Well, end of the story, right? They all lived happily ever after. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. We pick up now in chapter 19 to hear what happens next. Chap uh, 19, 1 through 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the, as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a, a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. I want to pause here for a minute. Ahab's just received much needed rain. But instead of being grateful, he goes and tells his wife Jezebel um, all that Elijah's done. And she is furious. Jezebel wants, wants the head of Elijah right here. So Elijah picks up his robe and runs. Runs for his life, leaves the northern kingdom, runs all the way to the southernmost part of the southern kingdom, as far away as possible. 
from Ahab and Jezebel. Leaves his servant, heads into the wilderness, and says to God, I can't take it anymore. Kill me. He has no appetite. He can't get up. Is textbook depressed. The very epitome of being overwhelmed. But I think it was more than the threat of Jezebel that drove him away. I think he was tired of being on the losing side. Tired of dealing with fickle-hearted people. Tired of being all, all alone. But the same God who supernaturally consumed his fire with spectacular flames on Mount Carmel, this same God sent an angel, a messenger, and the first thing the angel does is touch him. Purposefully reminds him, in the words of Psalm 23, which come a lot later. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Psalm 23 came 100 years earlier. <laughs> Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Elijah, you don't need to fear evil. Why? For I am with you. For I am with you. So he feeds him. Better than pancakes, these are angel cakes. Tells him this will nourish him for the journey ahead. Elijah eats, drinks, nods off again, and again, the, the angel touches him, feeds him, commands him to eat and drink. So in his overwhelmed, depressed state, Elijah travels for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, to a, a distance of 250 miles, to the same mountain where Moses had his first encounter with God. So let, let's read on, verses 9 through 19. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, suddenly, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the sound, after the, the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when, uh, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out, stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go. Return on your way to the And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of uh, Hazel <laughs> shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehel, Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So Elijah climbs up to, to Mount Horeb, Mount um, Syria, um, Sinai, <laughs> uh, finds a cave and goes inside, and, and God immediately calls him by name and asks him, what are you doing here? It's an interesting question. So Elijah says, essentially, I'm sick and tired of being on the losing team. I'm tired of dealing with fickle-hearted people. I'm 100% alone in this. It's as if to say, this calling is too much. I'm overwhelmed. I've had it. I'm done. And God says, come out of your cave. I've got something to show you. And God puts on a huge display of things that any of us could experience in the natural world. Hurricane-forced wind, like we see down in the Caribbean and Florida. No God. Rock-splitting earthquakes. No God. California-style wildfires? No God. God wasn't in any of these, meaning Elijah could, could see and feel the effects of all these natural forces, but he, he couldn't sense the Lord's presence the way Moses had. Not until there was a, quote-unquote, low whisper, as the ESV English, uh, English Standard Version translates. That phrase translated low whisper has puzzled and caused scholars and translators to scratch their heads for millennia. Low, low whisper suggests a sound of, of softness and intimacy. But, but one commentator writes, as more recent opinion among scholars suggests, no voice no sound, but an eerie silence laden with a sense of holiness. 
that silence of God's glorious presence draws Elijah from the cave, shielded by his cloak. The information age is a, is a noisy society, isn't it? Social media, the internet, news, podcasts. You'd think this, this information would make us have a richer, fuller, more easy life, but it hasn't. And far from it. In fact, I, I can't help but notice the correlation between an increase in information and an increase in anxiety. You have to wonder, is all this information causing us to be deaf to the holy God who made us and redeemed us for himself? Well, anyway, God doesn't invite Elijah in for a cup of tea so he can, you know, put his hand on his cheek and let um, Elijah air his problems and feel heard. No, no, no. Instead, he knows exactly what Elijah needs. He pulls back the curtain. And if we read between the lines, God says to Elijah, listen to me. I always win. I never lose. As much as it might look and feel like you're on the losing side, you're not. And as much as I've heard you say, you're all alone, you're wrong. I've got 7,000 who are loyal to me, 7,000 who are loyal to me in me alone. So chin up, Elijah. Go back. Back to danger, back to risk, and appoint, among others, your successor, Elisha, with the fresh knowledge that I alone am God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords. So Elijah doesn't hesitate. With renewed confidence, he, he, goes, he goes back. He, he finds Elisha plowing in a field, and without uttering a word, he casts his cloak on Elisha. The, the same cloak he had wrapped his faith with, face with in the holy silence of God's presence. Well, about 900 years later, God himself would break open the heavens and come down into our world, letting go of all that he was entitled to. Why? To nourish us for the journey ahead. To be better than those angel cakes. To save us from our sin and all that ultimately overwhelms us. That was his purpose from the moment Adam sinned. By by his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has proven his victory over death in sin. And he offers us mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and rest. He said in, in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? Who do you turn to? How do you gain perspective? Do you, do you operate from, from the perspective that God's way out there somewhere, distant, aloof, busy, something? Or do you believe this truth with your head and your heart that, that he really does care for you care for you in your overwhelmed condition more than you can imagine, more, more than you care for yourself. That's how much God cares for you. The same God who nursed Elijah back to health for his journey wants nothing more than to nurse you back to health for yours. Secondly, do, do you operate from the perspective that you're on the losing side? that you're alone, that when you look at the culture in America or the, the fractured condition of the church or our church in particular, is, is your confidence in Jesus' reign slipping? What do you do with the, with the thought that you're all alone, that, that no one can possibly understand what's happening with you? In other words, do you, do you take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus Christ? Do you realize that, that we, as a church, are, among other things, a community, a family of brothers and sisters who, who can confess our overwhelmed state with? You know, the church is no place for... Um, well-dressed people that have it all together. Far from it. We're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Friends, if, if there's nothing you remember from this episode in Elijah's life, it's this. Elijah felt overwhelmed. He was depressed. He lost perspective. He was isolated. God cared for him. Ultimately, by pulling back the curtain and showing him the truth of who he is and what he's on mission to do as Christ's ambassadors, that mission is alive and well. That mission of inviting lost, overwhelmed people to the only one who can give them rest is alive and well. So are you, are you ready to join him in his mission or rejoin him? Are, are, you, are you ready to do it with a renewed sense of purpose, of confidence, and of joy? That's what this episode shows us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for caring for us in just the right way we need. Many of us are, are feeling overwhelmed with life in some way, shape, or form. And in that state, 
I'll just confess for myself that I, I sometimes feel like I'm on the losing side. I know I, I have a tendency to isolate, to lick my wounds, but God, uh, you see me, you see us in our self-pity, in our isolated states, and you care for us. Let your holy display for Elijah transform me, transform us, that you are reigning you are the victor. And let the reality r- renew our hope, renew our confidence, renew our joy. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.